electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, we're inside the sell-off today in stocks. Tech wrecked again as Facebook faces the fallout over a whistleblower's accusations. What all of that means to your money with an ominous October now underway. The Investment Committee debating that. Joining me for the hour today, Shannon Sakosha, Jason Snipes, Steve Weiss, and Joe Terranova. Let's check stocks. After Friday's surge, under some significant pressure this hour, led by technology, Dow's down 1%, about 350, S&P off about 60 points. There is the NASDAQ, though, 2 and a quarter percent to the downside. That's a loss of more than 325 points. I focus on Facebook, these whistleblowers' accusations. Steve Weiss, I start with you today. Kramer says of the activity in the stock and the story around Facebook today, this time is different. This situation is no longer not at risk. He says that because time and time and time again, Negative story equals no negative stock reaction. Clearly, this time may be different. Facebook shares are down significantly today. They have been throughout the morning. They are off the lows. You sold half of your position this morning, I'm told. Yeah, I sold half first thing this morning. And and frankly, I wouldn't have done it in reaction to today's news. I'm glad I did because it was at a higher price. But I've been thinking about selling for a while. If you recall, if you go back to October of last year, I'd sold my entire position and only re-entered in May of this year and missed a significant move. We're still making money in. Look, I have no idea if the whistleblower is right or wrong. Uh, it seems we're in an environment where everybody's guilty until proven innocent. Oh, no, the whistleblower but has receipts. I mean, there, there's documentation of what right, the whistleblower right, said, I, right? So let's, let's deal in I, fact. I understand, but... Well, we will deal in fact, and you haven't seen what the whistleblower has in her possession. You haven't seen the other side either. So we don't know what the facts are, Scott. But here's what I'd say. That doesn't matter in terms of the stock. What matters is that advertisers are going to look this, and they're going to say, no mas with Facebook. So they'll go elsewhere. TikTok's not the answer. Look, there's a lot of truth, obviously. We know it all. But I'm not sure, and I don't know the answer. Facebook has been the evil empire. That's been the perception, whether it's reality or not. We know that Mark Zuckerberg has been arrogant. So all that adds up to the fact that this is not something that you want to buy here. You want to wait to see how it turns out. My concerns had always been about this, about hearings, just a stream of bad news flow, and you're not going to get any good news flow out of this. So that's why I sold half on a pop. I'll sell the other half. The two, the two biggest issues here, Joe, are, are what Kramer talked about this morning and Weiss references just now, whether advertisers turn away because it, in large part it's been a duopoly between Facebook and, and Google uh, in terms of advertising. Do they go to Snap? Do they go to TikTok? Do they go to somewhere else? They must change the algos, said Jim Cramer. I will not support them until they do. What do we do? So many people on the show own the stock. Shannon owns it. Jason owns it. Weiss owns it. Joe, you, the Joe T owns it. Carrie owns it. Degas owns it. Pete owns it. John owns it. Brenda owns it. Jenny owns it. Surratt owns it. That in its of itself 
speaks to the broad level of support this company has enjoyed, regardless of multiple stories throughout the years um, that are certainly negative. Um, the threat of regulation mm -hmm. on Facebook, none of it. This, this stock's been Teflon. Is it different now? I do think it is. And I wonder where this stock would be if it did not have Instagram. I think Instagram is one of the most powerful catalysts for Facebook. But advertisers will be taking a second look. I've not owned this stock personally uh, for many, many years. I've never been a fan of uh, the leadership. I've never been a fan of uh, prioritizing some of the things that management seems to be doing at Facebook. So I do think it's different. I think if you hold the stock, you want to look at the technical formation. 315 is where the 200-day moving average sits. The Facebook stock price has not traded below that for the better part of the last 19 months. Uh, a challenge below there is going to lead to f further deterioration. And understand, you're in a buyback blackout window, and a lot of the thesis surrounding Facebook was the ability for them to buy back their own stock. They can't do that right now. Jason, you have a 3% position in, in, in the stock. The company is out today uh, on CNBC on multiple programs thus far. Not Zuckerberg, not Sheryl Sandberg, the VP of policy content said on uh, Squawk Box, any suggestion that we are trying to prioritize engagement bait is blatantly false. The global head of safety was just on. Facebook is always trying to do better and trying to do more. Um, I'd crumble the paper up and throw it over my shoulder, but I have important notes on it and I can't afford to do that. Um, Three percent position. Do you change the position today? Yeah, so it's, it's a good question, Scott. Obviously, yesterday, that interview in 60 Minutes was very damaging. I think what I would say about the stock and why I've always owned it is, you know, they have 2.89 billion users. So they have a lot of presence. They have a lot of reach. I do think that there's always been headline risk with Facebook. This, this hurts the stock. I think this might be different here, but I think, you know, for me, I'm just going to continue to watch it over the next couple of weeks and see where it heads. Um, you know, they, they have the cash flow, they have the IP, you know, to, to make a change here, a meaningful change. And we'll see what they do. We'll see what they say and, you know, where we go from here. Okay. Let's bring in uh, somebody who has more at stake in this than anybody else on the program. And that is John Nigerian. Facebook was his number two position behind Apple. Doc, you there? Yes, I am, Scott. You joined, us, you. On, you joined us on September 22nd. You mentioned that day the significant amount of put buying in Facebook that you had noticed then. Um, have you changed your position since then to go along with the put buying that you saw on September the 22nd? Well, yes, Scott. Um, and I'm, I'm calling you from Vegas because we just finished up our conference. And uh, if you want to gamble, uh, <laughs> Facebook is a gamble at this point. Uh, the reason it's a gamble, uh, Degas is exactly right that there are 2.9 billion active users on the platform. But this isn't just the European Union taking a look at them, Scott. This is somebody from the inside. And again, just like you and Steve said, I haven't seen the actual documents. But on the 22nd of September, for a couple days there, I reduced my position by um, over 200,000 shares. And the reason I did that, Scott, was that uh, there were they were buying puts like there was no tomorrow. And they continue to this day, right now, buying downside puts. Now, some of those could be hedge. You know, they could be just uh, protecting their positions. Uh, and others could be just betting that 
to Joe's point, if the 200-day doesn't hold, this thing sees 280 in a heartbeat. So, yes, I sold half my position. I bought and loaded up on puts at that point. Happy that I did, and that's all on live TV. That's full disclosure that that was my position at that time. I am still in. This has fallen to about my number 10 position right now, Scott, um, from number two. And you and I talked many times about, you know, all of the different issues that uh, people talked about them for the election. Did they push one way or another during the election? Do they try to push people into groups that feel the same way they do and thus um, sort of accelerate hate and things like that? Well, those are beyond just accusations now. If the whistleblower is correct, they've actively done that. So I don't think a lot of ESG sort of investors are going to basically stick around because of that. I think they will. It won't just be the advertisers, Scott. If these uh, are proved to be true, there will be significant changes, uh, perhaps at various high levels within the company, but also they may be forced to break parts of this up or lose many of those ESG investors. Doc, let me ask you the, um, the trillion-dollar question, if you will. I mean, we're talking about you know right. the company's market cap. You mentioned if the stock breaks below a support level and trades as low as 280. Um, does the story mm-hmm. continue where that is bought by the legions of people who have owned this stock, including nearly everybody who's associated with this program? Or truly is this time different from an ownership standpoint? If it goes down below, will you buy it back and increase it to the level that it once was, if not close? And do you think others will as well? Um, like I say, Scott, uh, time will tell, but I'm really concerned. I know my friend uh, um, Kevin O'Leary would also be concerned because he's a real guy that focuses in on these various ESG metrics and when you can or cannot invest in some of these stocks. This may be a do-not-touch stock for a while until they prove to people that these allegations are either false or until they put in real measures to stop anything like this in the future, I got to believe there's a lot of endowments and institutional investors that just will not touch the stock, even if it gets very attractive on a drop, because they'll have to justify it to their shareholders or to their universities or various endowments. Yeah, stock down greater than 5% as we're talking about it. Doc, you bear with me for a second if you would. Shan, it's not a sure. huge position for you, um, but nonetheless, you do have ownership in it. Will it become a smaller position than it already is in terms of your book? Well, right now, I think we're slightly overweight to the benchmark, and I I don't know that I would necessarily add here. I I think it's an important point, though, that if you think about what we're enduring from a a tech rotation perspective, this certainly creates a backdrop where this is maybe not as much of a buy-the-dip scenario as it normally would be. I think that to the point about the documentation, it certainly provides the government with additional color and context, which has been the problem over the last couple of years with them making anything stick, to your point about being Teflon. They just haven't had the information and haven't really understood it. And so perhaps this this trove of documents allows them to make a better case, um, but we're not sure where they're going to go with it. I think if we were not against this backdrop where we're seeing a pretty fierce rotation away from technology, I think that you know investors could be more interested in adding to their position here. But I think just given the headwinds that we see over the next few weeks, given what's happening with the yield curve, you know, I don't know that this is necessarily a great 
time to add to your Facebook position, although I don't think that longer term this is going to result in some of the dire predictions about breaking it up that John mentioned. Doc, I'm, I'm going to let you run in a second. I'm, assume, I'm assuming sure. that while you're in Vegas, you were with Pete. Uh, at your conference. Yes, do, do you know what he's doing with his shares? I don't believe he has any options action going on in Facebook, but he does have stock. Do you, do you know uh, what moves he's made definitively? And I don't want any speculation on Pete, but do you know specifically what he's done? I believe he's been adding puts to protect the stock that he still owns. I do not know if he's lightened up, Scott. I spoke to him this morning briefly, but then um, we got interrupted with some other stuff. So I know he's purchased some puts. I don't know whether or not he has lightened up on any shares. All right. I'll, uh, I'll let you run. I appreciate the insight. Doc, thanks so much for calling in. Appreciate it very much. Thanks. All right. Thank you, that's, Scott. That's have John Ajarian. Yep, you as well. You'll hear from John, um, I'm sure, uh, at some point this week, if not several times, and you'll get his uh, unusual activity, as, as we always do. Um, the other you know, issue, Shannon referenced it, Steve, is the pullback that we're seeing in tech. Um, and it's been, you know, take Friday out of the equation where you had a really nice bounce You've had selling in big tech, and it's been one of the issues weighing on stocks as I look at my, my board here. Um, NASDAQ's down more than 330 points. It's, it's more than 2%. Are, are these stocks in jeopardy of having a significant decline, more so than what we've witnessed already in the last month? September was, was brutal. Facebook was down 13. That's in and of itself. But Apple down 10, biggest company on earth in terms of market cap. Amazon down 8.5, Alphabet down 8.5, Microsoft down 6.5. You know, those are the so-called big five. You know, I, I think what you're seeing is a resetting evaluation. Look, never have I been so right in the market and lost so much money being right. Um, but I haven't, I've chosen not to sell Microsoft. I've chosen not to sell some of the others, Facebook being the exception. I do own puts in Apple. There, I think you've got some idiosyncratic risk, but I haven't sold any. Uh, so, yes. Yeah, so like the market overshot with a multiple on Apple that, frankly, I don't believe it deserves, um, it can overshoot in the downside. And I think that's what we're involved in. Look, I came in short the Qs. I came in short the SMH, which is a semi-ETF. But it's doing little to help me today and over the last few weeks. So... You've got a market where the glass is half empty, not half full. We're seeing fewer you know, conviction from retail and buying the dips. Uh, that's evidence. They've gone back to work. Employment benefits have rolled off the excess benefits. You've got an earnings season I think is going to be disappointing overall. I think that's pretty clear from the companies we've seen report. So, And you've got a Fed, despite the fact 10 years now below 1.5 yield, you've got a Fed that I believe is going to have to pull forward they're rate hiking. So I don't see the positives. Hopefully, I'm surprised by a great earnings season. I just don't think that's in the card. So it's a question of where you catch this falling knife and where it bottoms out. And I'm not sure we're there yet. So, uh, so look, yeah, the others could sell off. I mean, all, value, all stocks with high valuations are taking on chin more than others. And uh, Microsoft just continues to execute. Amazon continues to execute. Uh, Apple's even executed. We'll see if it does going forward. All right. So I think those are the issues, and you just have to put it aside and just take a long-term view. Okay, so Jason Snipe, lastly, before we move on from our conversation within technology, Twitter question for you. Uh, so with all this new money coming from Facebook today and, you know, in the last month, which fang name do you put money to work in? So for me, I mean... It's a good question. I, I like Microsoft here. I, I like I, enterprise spend. I like the opportunity that 
and what Microsoft does for small businesses going forward. Um, and I think generally, Fang obviously has been selling off. I think Vice makes a good point on just the general reset. You know, I, I think that is obviously happening. So, but for me, I think I think the pick would be Microsoft. You know, in in where tech is right now and where the opportunity is. I, I like that name here. All right. We have a lot of moving parts today, uh, including news out of the nation's capital. Elon Moy is following the debt ceiling debate, and she has an update for us. Hi, Elon. Well, Scott, President Biden is not backing down in this fight with Republicans over the debt limit. He said that Congress needs to raise the debt limit, that, but, but that Republicans need to get out of the way and let Democrats do this on their own. Importantly, he resisted pressure for Democrats to use the fast track reconciliation process in order to raise the debt ceiling. He said that that process is an elaborate procedural schemes and there's no time to do it. He said that is when accidents could happen. Now, Democrats say they want to bring the debt limit bill to the floor this week. Uh, we will see if that happens, if Republicans also refuse to back down. But the president said, Scott, that he cannot guarantee that the country would not breach the debt limit. He said that's going to be up to Mitch McConnell. Back over to you. All right. So yet another thing uh, for the markets to keep their focus on, um, maybe be nervous about uh, for certain. Elon, thank you. Elon Moy in D.C. All right. Shannon, in terms of where we go from here, Mike Wilson says, a more aggressive Fed on tapering sets the stage for both fire and ice. Quote, the magnitude of the ongoing correction should be determined by Q3 earnings and retail's commitment to buying the dip. Steve Weiss talked about um, both of those. Remember, fire, 10 percent correction. Ice, maybe 25 or 20 percent is what Mike Wilson's been talking about. UBS, quote, equity market sentiment was hurt by a combination of worries over growth, central bank policy, fast rising yields, and the U.S. fiscal impasse. We believe that such concerns are overdone. We expect the rally to resume. What do you think? Are we going for fire and ice? Or are we going for a resumption of the rally in what is traditionally an ominous month for stocks, that being October? Well, not to beat a dead horse, but many of us on this show over the last couple of months have talked about these rolling corrections, and Joe's been, um, you know, one of those vocal advocates of that, of that thesis. And I think that that's what's going to continue. So I see something in between. Um, I do think that we are experiencing, you know, this um, diminishing concern about Delta. I think that that's leading folks back to the epicenter stocks, some of the more cyclical stocks. Um, but, you know, based on the market, the way that the indexes are constructed, it's going to be very difficult for the market to rally from here with tech under so much pressure. So I do think we need to see some alleviation on the pressure and yields, at least in the short term. It's all about the velocity, as we've talked about. And I think that there could be corrections that are upwards of 15, 16, 17 percent. Obviously, we've already seen that here in Facebook, and we could see that in other sectors and industries as well. But the undercurrent of economic growth maintain, should be maintained. And if we're talking about a 2 percent tenure, you know, that really shouldn't put any of us to be particularly concerned concerned about the, the, you know, the relative opportunity for these companies going forward. That's not a huge debt burden. And so I think we're not seeing it, you know, in the debt market. We're probably not going to continue to see any support in the debt market for a massive correction in equities. Um, but there could be, in certain sectors and industries, an opportunity over the next six to eight weeks. And I think that investors should be very careful to be aware of what's happening and think about in an environment where we're going to have continued low rates over the next couple of years, because they will be historically low. You you could position your portfolio now to enjoy some of that low, you know, this low growth, low interest rate environment that's going to persist. Joe Kramer today, I don't think earnings are going to be nearly as bad as the stock market thinks. 
What do you think? I mean, we have had some negative pre-announcements. I think, you know, you're looking at tough comps to match up against. If you look at catalysts to lift stocks or at least keep them from suffering the ice part of Mike Wilson's equation, they better not be horrible. Yeah, so Q2 EPS year-on-year growth was around 88%. The expectation right now is for about 27%. Uh, Listen, the market's got, it's in the most tenuous position that it's been in, arguably, uh, since the onset of the pandemic in the Q1 of 2020. Um, As it relates to earnings themselves, I think you're going to have to hear some comfort and some clarity uh, from corporations regarding two very distinct Uh, variables in the market right now, one of which is what's the corporate tax rate going to be? If we have certainty on that, there'll be some guidance that's distributed. I also think that oil prices are going to be a significant factor and a factor in the guidance, uh, not so much in providing clarity, but really clouding the vision looking forward. Uh, We've got a little bit of an issue here. It's represented in the form of a stagflation environment. And it's really based upon seeing natural gas prices and oil prices continuing to rise. What happened today with OPEC Plus is not a bearish contributor to the price of oil. In fact, it's disappointing in terms of the amount of supply that's going to be added to the market. We wanted twice as much as we're actually getting from OPEC Plus. So I think oil right now is one of the leading indicators for the consumer and corporations as we look forward here. And I think it's very difficult and complicated to understand what path that's going to take. I want to have more on this um, in a moment, but let me bounce to uh, Julia Borston, who has a statement regarding this outage um, that she mentioned just before the end of Tech Check that we noticed with at least reports, Julia, of Facebook, Insta and WhatsApp all being down uh, offline. What do we know? Well, Facebook just responding now, both the Facebook app and WhatsApp tweeting out that they're aware that that some people are having trouble accessing both Facebook and WhatsApp. At the moment, they're saying we're working to get things back to normal as quickly as possible. And we apologize for any inconvenience. The at WhatsApp um, uh, profile on Twitter also saying that they will send an update here as soon as possible. And thanks for your patience. No word on Instagram. And it is unclear just how widespread these outages are. Of course, this all comes, you know, as Facebook shares are down nearly 6%. And we are awaiting the testimony from the whistleblower tomorrow before the Senate Commerce Committee. Guys, back back, back over to you. All right. Uh, Julia, thank you for that. Julia Borson with the update. All right, let's, let's do this. Weiss, I, I got to, we have to have a conversation, Okay. Because I noticed something in terms of your committee moves that made me go, what? You sold Penn National Gaming, okay? Now, you have tweeted a lot about it, like a lot, okay? You've praised them, you've praised Portnoy. It's like endless. Now I find out that you sold it, and I'm like, WT, you know what? Like, what's the story? (laughs) What's the story? Uh, we're cable, Scott, so you can say what, no, what's I on can't. your mind. No, I can't. But, uh, I like being in this seat a lot. Okay. <laughs> okay, so, you, so you're not responding to my bait. Um, in any event, here's why I sold it. Look, it was never full position. I've been clear about that on, on, uh, on Twitter as well. And my view on Portnoy still stands. I think he's a phenomenal marketer. I think he's energetic. He gets out there, he gets people engaged. But as I'm doing more work on it, And I bought it, if you recall, I said, I'm buying this in expectation of the football season, increasing the attention that these stocks are getting because they were corrected. 
and hoping it would go up. That didn't happen, so I sold it at a loss, but here's why. To me, I see a lot of parallels between here and the cannabis industry, where you had that major uptick in the stocks. Nobody can get enough of them. You had, you know, you had some of these stocks at 20 times where they are now. There's too much capacity. And when you have betting lines, you stick to the betting lines. So the only way to drive your particular business is through marketing costs. Are you going to give potential bettors $100, $200, or $1,000? So when you've got irrational pricers who don't care if they're going to make money in the market or not, I'm talking about DraftKings, then it's very tough to make money on a consistent basis. What I like about Penn you just is their physical that. facilities. You just realize that, Weiss? Well, I, 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 well, no, I didn't just realize it. I was hoping it'd be different with the football season. If the football season weren't starting, I wouldn't have bought the stock. So it was a trade that I stayed in too long. I hope to be able to build it. But it's just much, much too competitive without, to me, a clear path to generating return. So, and if you look at the forecast, EBITDA is going to be flat for these companies for the next few years. So, I just think they're a bad investment, period, end of story. Wow. And it was a mistake. I'm out, lost money. I don't want to compound my stake by staying there or buying more. All right. All right. I like putting you on the hot seat. Um, you know, need to hear an explanation. I don't that's, mind. that's all I'm saying. Uh, you sold Ericsson. Why did right. you do that? I did. Uh, Ericsson, China was a big uh, market for Ericsson. And when the Swiss came out and said, we're not, we're not taking Huawei, and as a matter of fact, I want you to get out of here, the Chinese responded and said, well, we're not going to buy any more Ericsson. So their revenues went down to nearly zero from China. The stock's done nothing. I'm up, I made about 50% in the shares. Stock's done nothing over the last six months or more. I think given my market view, I'm looking around saying, okay, where am I going to miss opportunity if I sell it? Ericsson wasn't one of them. It's a fine company. It's been restructured. I'll be back. I think it's cheap, but given my market position, I just want to get rid of it. You, speaking of China, which you just mentioned, you shorted BABA, the FXI, a Chinese ETF, and uh, PDD, Pindoto, again. Yeah. You're just going to continue to just sort of play yeah, in and actually, out of these things, or what's up? Well, I, actually, you know, I, 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 I pretty much stayed in BABA. I covered it and then quickly went back in, so I came in today short, thankfully. Look, their earnings estimates, people forget about this. Their earnings estimates have declined nearly 50% over the last year, and China is not getting any better. Every day they come out and it's something new. Again, variable interest entities, which what these are, means you only own a revenue stream. PDD has no revenue. In my view, that shareholders who still own these things okay, are going to be severely disappointed and may, in fact, wind up with zero because VIE structures are illegal in China. That's my view. Some Chinese authorities have said that. So I don't know what you own here. You can't value them relative to other companies, U.S. companies. It's a joke. There are no assets supporting your VIEs. So, look, I think people come around to it. There are other ways to lose money. Mm -hmm. I'm finding them personally, but I think there are great ways to make money, too. Right. And it's not in China. Okay, coming up, General Motors is a bright spot in today's sell-off. Activist firm engine number one revealing a stake in the automaker. We're going to talk about that. Plus, who do you think is going to call in to talk about that? Halftime's back in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. 
which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. I'm Christina Partsnevelis, and here is your CNBC News update at this hour. President Biden is saying Republicans are being reckless and dangerous about the debt limit. He says it must be raised in part to pay for policies Republicans passed during the Trump administration. Republican Minority Leader Mitch McConnell says Democrats must act on their own to raise the ceiling. Democrats say the move should be bipartisan. On the news, full coverage of the Washington logjam on spending. That's tonight at 7 Eastern. The Pentagon says China's increasing military activities near Taiwan are destabilizing. China flew 52 fighter planes towards Taiwan earlier today. It's the largest such show of force on record. Japan has a new prime minister, Fumio Kishida, elected to that position in votes by both houses of parliament. He says a general election will be held on October 31st. That's earlier than many had expected. And the bridge connecting Detroit and Windsor, Canada, has been closed. Police are investigating possible explosives found on the Canadian side of the bridge. Scott, send it back to you. All right, Christina, appreciate it very much. Christina Parsonevelis. All right, General Motors shares bucking today's sell-off. Activist investor Engine Number 1 says today, right here on CNBC, that GM can become a growth company again. Leslie Pickers following that money. How do they intend for GM to do that, Leslie? <laughs> That's a good question, Scott. Chris James, the founder of Engine Number One, saying on Squawk Box this morning that GM is a, quote, triple over the next five years, meaning shares there could triple in that time frame. According to their 13F, at the end of the second quarter, Engine Number One held about 400,000 shares worth about $21 million. It's unclear how much they hold now, but it's about 6% of their portfolio as of the end of Q2. Now, James, in this interview, emphasized it's not necessarily an activist stake. They really do like what GM is doing right now in terms of its transition toward producing more battery electric vehicles. The investment idea is on that front. It stems from this white paper that they worked on in conjunction with Wharton that focused on battery electric vehicles, what they call BEVs, noting that Tesla is not enough and that GM is a leader among the incumbent automakers. The firm writing, quote, GM, by virtue of its large strategic bet on BEVs, has perhaps the strongest foundation, starting with past R&D investments, substantial patenting, and now its proactive moves to secure 
future battery supply. Now, they have been engaging with GM management, including CEO Mary Barra. GM, like engine number one's earlier target, Exxon, part of an industry in the middle of kind of this cleaner transition. Engine number one, of course, if you remember, earlier this year successfully beating out the company to install three of its director nominees on the board of Exxon earlier this year. That, of course, has investors paying attention today with shares up 1.7 percent right now. I can tell you who is paying closer attention than likely anybody this side of engine number one, Leslie, and that is farmer Jim Labenthal, Mr. <laughs> All In, who joins us now on the phone. I th- oh, no, he's right there. Hi, Jim. Hey, Scott. How are you? You uh, like this news? Um, I do like this news. I'll point out, Scott, that before the news broke this morning, GM was up in the pre-market, and I don't think anybody knew uh, about the stake. I think what it was reflective is that there's been a nice slow drip of good news from GM. Uh, It looks like the cruise division is going to start running uh, the uh, robo-taxis in San Francisco, maybe before the end of the year, but certainly early 2022. Um, The cruise division is very important if engine number one really sees a triple in five years. It's not just electric vehicles, it's autonomous vehicles. Vehicles. Now, I think the way that you get a triple is you've got to break up the company. You got to spin out crews and maybe even spin out the uh, electric vehicle business and, and leave the legacy vehicle business as a stub, a stub company. I mean, that's not unlike what pharmaceutical companies have been doing in splitting up between their innovative products and their legacy products. Um, I'm just saying that because Cruise and the electric vehicle business at General Motors, they've been there for a few years, and I don't think the combined company is getting the respect in terms of the share price that it deserves. So hold on. Hold so on, engine hold on. number one hold may on, be quiet on. right now, but hold I wouldn't on. expect them to be quiet for long. All right. So you're saying, are, are, you, are you personally playing the stock right now for a split? Because um, Mary Barra doesn't seem, I mean, I don't know what she's thinking right now, but it's not like she has led up or or made it seem like she's even open to that suggestion in any way, shape, or form. And you're also, it sounds like, expecting engine number one, and I know this is where you were going to end your your commentary at. Um, You're not necessarily sure that they're going to remain uh, not with a more forceful position from an activist standpoint, right? We're, we're all of us savvy market participants. Engine number one will quietly go along endorsing the plan as long as the share price picks up. But again, if they've got a triple in mind over the next five years, to me, do you look look at the market cap of Rivian, the IPO that's coming and what it's projected to be $80 billion. Um, look at Tesla. Um, I, 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 Mary Barra has been very consistent, very clear that she doesn't want to break up the company. Uh, engine number one has been very consistent that it will be activist if it feels it needs to be so. So um, honestly, I have not been calling for it, but I think that that would unlock the shareholder value very quickly if they broke the company up. Let me just before I let you go, let me get a comment from Weiss, who no longer owns General Motors, nor does Joe. It's worth noting, too, who sold it a couple of weeks ago. But I got two guys who bailed and one guy who is Mr. All In. Steve, that's right. Yeah, so look, embarrassingly, I had a tag end of it. Uh, Jim's original price target was 60, and as it got to 60, I'd sold most of it. Actually, just forgot I had one account, so took the occasion to get out because I believe that Volkswagen and Porsche are going to be much better performers in the market. I don't even think it'll be close. They're going to be number one in EV next year and are firm number two now. They've got great share in China where GM couldn't succeed. And so, look, to me, it's, it's a much cheaper stock and about six times earnings. I'm there.
Jim, we, we could talk what, what about this when you're about more rational. We're not succeeding in China. God, I love you, Steve. I love these moments. That's just not like they're, v, they're like VW. VW got more GM, share in China really than, any other, than any GM other participant. Fabulously in China. Guys, it sounds like a garbage disposal. I can't understand what you're saying. There's like too much going on at one time. Jim Labenthal, you can rebut what Steve Weiss said. Uh, thank you, Your Honor. Uh, GM has done very, very well in China. I don't really care what VW is doing. GM is killing it in China. And frankly, it's the North American market where uh, you're looking for success. You're looking for the Ultium battery technology, which engine number one talked about the patents involved. You're looking for that to be licensed out to other uh, companies around the world. That's really what the play All is. All right, that's the last word. Jimmy, thank you for calling in. Weiss, don't worry. Weiss has other things to talk about today, Jim. I know you have a big smile on your face. Um, some investors don't today, though. Moderna. Weiss, you better gear up for this one. Stock's down another 6% today. No golf course is going to save you today. We're going to talk about the big ETFs to watch as well. Today's sell-off. Check the S&P sectors as we go to break. There they go. Energy and utilities are green. Everything's red. We're back after this. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to the Halftime Report. I'm Dominic Chu on the ETF Edge today. China's power crunch has been roiling the global commodity space, affecting everything from oil and copper to soybeans and nickel prices. Now with U.S. inventories on the rise and an energy crisis raging in Europe, the equation is getting more complicated by the day. So let's drill down on the sudden surge in oil prices and pricing pressure on things like industrial metals, copper, Iron Ore, Others, How Investors Can Best Play It. Joining me now is Dave Nodig, Director of Research and ETF, over at ETF Trends, and Will Ryan, founder and CEO of Granite Shares. I will go, first of all, Dave, to you. Uh, I, this whole notion about ETFs in the marketplace, it seems to be where a lot of people are taking their views. Are you seeing any kinds of rotations between sectors or value versus growth that we should be noting? Well, in, in terms of this energy story, what we've really seen is a lot of interest in China. Despite all of the fairly negative headlines, investors have been chasing China all year long. In September, we had another billion in change show up in China ETFs, capping us out at almost 12 billion so far year to date. The energy thing, as you pointed out, just adds a layer of complexity. What we're really understanding or starting to understand is the interconnectedness between the energy markets, industrial production, industrial metals. And I think it's a little bit tough to play an individual one of those. I know a lot of people out there are trying to play copper today with CPER, which is really the only game in town for direct copper futures exposure. But honestly, I think if you're looking for a more broad energy inflation play, I'd stick to core commodities exposure. All right. So core commodities, Will, let's bring you in. If you want to play that, play that core commodity exposure type situation, how exactly do investors take that view with the ETF market? Well, there are a lot of ways to do that, Dominic, but probably one way is you know, the granite shares 
commodity ETF, which took a simple COMB. And that's just a broad representation of the commodity market, investing in commodity futures. So you get a basket of 23 different commodity futures, but really just a, a one ticker solution to get exposure to the whole commodity market. All right, Dave, Will, thank you both very much for that. We are diving deeper, much deeper into that commodity crunch and seeing how ETFs are setting up for the most volatile month of the past year. Tune in 1 p.m. Eastern time on ETFedge.cnbc.com. We will be joined by Matthew Bartolini of State Street for his perspective on some key sector trends. Don't miss it. Keep it right here. The Halftime Report is back after this break. All right, welcome back. Shares of Moderna down 6.5% today as that sell-off continues, down more than 20% our shares in the last week alone, following news of Merck's antiviral drug. All right, Steve Weiss, one of your biggest positions, maybe the biggest, um, you called yep. in from the golf the course. Biggest. You called in from the golf course the other day when the stock was down. Uh, I think it was 15 percent at that particular time. You said it was outrageous, without merit, totally ridiculous, unbelievable buying opportunity. You said you bought more on three different occasions. I believe you threw out the prices that you did. Now the stock is down even more. So you're back on the hot seat, Weiss. What are you doing now? So let's go through through the facts of the story. The, the are, answer is wait, 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 wait. those are the facts. Morning. Those are the facts. <laughs> you, right. Are you intimating like I didn't just give the facts? Those are the facts. Are you talking about other facts? Well, the, no, those, those are the facts. facts. Now, now let me. Oh, hold on, my phone's ringing. Got it. <laughs> yeah, right. that's me telling you that's enough. Um, look, Which facts are we dealing with? Here, here's the story. So what I did. So when I came on Friday, I said that. Um, I bought three times. I gave you the prices. You did. It's my biggest position ever. I will not go home with the same size. I did go home owning more than I started day with, and I did add this morning. So I own more than I did when Friday started. Now I'll give you the facts behind the story. Okay. And the facts are these, okay? <laughs> the, Merck, the Merck therapeutic is not a substitute for preventative, Okay. Furthermore, Merck is only 50% effective. We haven't seen all the data. We have no idea what the side effects are. But to me, it's idiotic to say I'm not going to take the vaccine because I'm going to have 50% better chance of not being hospitalized or dying by taking this pill. So that's number one. Number two, and you've got Tamiflu out there, but you still get a flu vaccine. So it's idiotic on the Merck news. Now, let's go through what happened today. Today... The European Medicines Agency came out and said, we believe you should take a Pfizer or Merck booster 28 days after your second dose. 28 days if you're immunocompromised, Mm -hmm. number one. Number two, they also approved boosters for everybody over 18, six months after. But this is not just a COVID company. It's still the cheapest stock I own based upon the COVID revenues. You will need a booster. That's clear. And you will need boosters going forward. So to sell it based on this news, when the stock is trading at at a ridiculous multiple of seven times with their platform that's more than double the last couple of years, really speaks to the market, not to Moderna in my view. So it's not the only stock that's done incredibly well that's come down. But the fundamentals truly are getting better every single day. So that's why I like Moderna. It's a long-term play. Yes, when stocks move up like this have, they're going to sell off and the market sell off more so than the market. 
But this is just a moment in time, and I take a long-term view, and I'm happy to still have it as my largest position with all the good news out there. Plus, the Merck pill, while it may prevent you from going into the hospital, mm -hmm. doesn't prevent you from getting long-term effects, as hundreds of thousands of people have from long COVID. So why wouldn't you get vaccinated? Asinine not to get vaccinated in the hopes that you can stave off death by 50%. Okay. The, the two most important things I, I hear here as it relates to uh, our viewers who may own the stock and got in um, with, with you or because of you, you said you added more this morning again, right? Check. Yes. Right. And everything that you said about yes, your fundamental right. case around the company, um, you did preface in your view. Um, and all right. That, that's important to say in, in, in your view. And we'll see what happens. Um, I, your points are all well taken. But we will see what the, the business impact is, if any, as a result of the news we got from Merck, which is likely not the last piece of positive news that we're going to get around antivirals. I think we can all agree on that. We will be right back. More trades from our gang straight ahead. We are back. IBM is hanging on in today's tech sell-off. You see it's still positive in a negative tape. The company's meeting with investors today, of which Shannon Sakosha is one of them. What's your take right now on, on IBM? You know what? The stock has been kind of a sleeper. It's up 14.5% year-to-date, been a little quiet over the last few months, and it's down 5.5% from its 52-week high. What say you today? Well, if you think about it from a valuation perspective, this is clearly more attractive than some other areas of the tech space. And and I think a lot of investors got concerned when Whitehurst left the firm that the integration of Red Hat would be stalled out. And so in the investor day today, I think that takeaway was that the Red Hat integration is clearly going forward as planned. And also the consulting business has a, is really trying to monetize its existing relationships by bringing in strategic partners. So I think that there are a lot of levers that IBM can pull. It pays a great dividend, and I think it's a great way to add to your technology exposure if you maybe want to stay out of the way of this little fang sell-off that we're experiencing. Okay. Uh, let's do a call of the day real quick. Union Pacific upgraded to overweight from equal weight at, at Barclays. You own that. Shannon? I do. Yeah. I mean, I know there's a number of people on the committee that own this stock, um, maybe not today. Um, but if you just think about what we're experiencing with supply chain dislocation, the need to build inventories and th the infrastructure package, that certainly will happen. Um, Union Pacific has a great uh, technology platform uh, upon which it, it manages its rail system. So uh, it's a great way to play from an industrial's perspective, a lot of the, the tailwinds that I think we'll see over the next couple of years. OK, we did mention IBM. Of course, it is one of the stocks mentioned in Jim Kramer's newsletter today. You can sign up to get Kramer delivered to your mailbox with the CNBC Investing Club. Jim's going to be sending out daily emails, writing for our website, and appearing in videos online, all to give you his unique insights into the markets. You'll have a front row seat to what stocks Jim is trading and why in his charitable trust. You can find out more at CNBC.com backslash investing club, or even better, right now, you can take your phone, point it right at the screen, right there, the QR code, and it'll take you right there. We're back after this. All right, final trade. Shan, you start us off. Valero Energy. I like Nike here. Moderna. BAC, Bank of America. All right, good stuff. Thanks, everybody. The exchange is now.
You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.